0: Thank you, brother. What's, uh, as Roger just read, what has been happening um, in this scene, right? As we set this scene up, and we've been on, let, let me backtrack. For those listening in and uh, those visiting today, we've, we're, we're on an expositional journey through the, the book of Acts, okay? We're start, we start started the very beginning of Acts, and we're going all the way through it. We did the same thing with John. We finished up James uh, a couple months ago, and now we're in Acts. And what I want to always like to repeat, Acts is that bridge, that bridge between the Gospels and the letters. It is historical events that actually happened, okay, that actually happened right after the ascension of Jesus and before the letters, right, the letters that were written uh, to the churches were, uh, were written, okay, so this sets the context for those two so it's important that we study these things but it's so important to us that we're seeing so many um life applications through this journey so today is a good one i love it because it essentially is the um ending of the honeymoon period for what seemed like a honeymoon period and i love um on wednesday night we've we've been having such good discussions and once again i want to put a plug in for that if you're available to come and uh uh, Wednesday night, starting at 630, it's great Bible discussions that we have over what we had talked about the previous Sunday. So to carry forward of that, um, at any rate, I, I, Cheryl said this about um, what, what had been happening with the growth of the church. And she said it's like you know, there was this protective hedge around them. They were able to go um, after Jesus sent into to heaven. Nobody really bothered them, right? They were going and joyfully sharing house to house and there was no worries, no concerns, no persecution, right? Uh, and it was all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, all right, they're going and sharing Jesus with everyone, and it's just a great thing. And in that, in, in up to that point, this point now, she's right, now the honeymoon period's over, that phase is over, it's about to end, and now this persecution that we really didn't see in, uh, in 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, now it comes full force. The honeymoon stage is over. Y- y'all, y'all hear that phrase, right? I like I think I use it all the time. Um, the honeymoon stage. And I looked that up, and I wanted to share some things with you that I figured would be good for us to realize what it looks like when the honeymoon phase is over in our lives. So here's what I found, church, and I'm going to share it with you. You ready? Here's the first indication that the honeymoon phase is over in a relationship. I see that because I'm looking indirectly at a few people. All right, when you, uh, there's 15 of them. 15, but I'm gonna share a few, all right? When you don't need to be fancy 24 seven, you decide you don't have to dress up anymore and you can stop wearing makeup, that's when you know the first ones over, right? The girls women. When you can start wearing sweatpants more than you wear outfits, right? When you are forced to be around each other in a disagreement, okay, that's when you know it's over. When you stop pretending everything's peachy and hunky dory, I like that one. I come, I, I came across a few of them. Um, you start having little fights, all right. When you also learn to not to sweat the small stuff, I thought that was good. And then the honeymoon phase is over. Here's your first indication: you start to. ...joke about bodily functions... ...I don't have to say anything on top of that... ...you, <laughs> you uh, start complaining more... ...you're more comfortable to not just cry in front of your significant other... ...but to ugly cry in front of them... ...you ever seen that? You already there? Okay, that's good... Um, ...and when you're not worried about impressing their parents anymore... That's not there yet, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're out. I thought those were cute, right? The bodily functions. Bodily functions. One is the first indicator that the honeymoon phase is over, and you don't want to talk about it anymore. Anyway, um, the honeymoon phase for Peter and John is essentially over because persecution happens. But what is persecution? That was just something that happened in Acts, right? Or the story of Acts and and then all of what happened to Paul. Jesus was persecuted. We're going to see Paul. We're going to see Peter and John. That's not something that really happens, right? Well, in our little side slice of heaven, as they say, in westernized culture, we really don't see physical persecution for Christianity. Being um, punished for believing in Jesus Christ. We have that indirectly, and we might have it, you know, differences of beliefs, and you have that emotional, spiritual, verbal disagreements, but that physical persecution really doesn't happen as much here in the westernized world, but it's currently going on. There's a story that came out out in the Christian Post that uh, talks about Christianity in China, in communist China, right? And I know you've heard a, a lot about that and how pe- how they're persecuted and, yeah. Well, this one is talking about a Chinese pastor that gets arrested and he's detained along with a hundred other ones. There's the, the article, the front, pa- front page of the article, um, or front, yeah, the front page of the article there for this Chinese pastor that gets arrested. I want to share this, little piece of this article on uh, the Christian Post that they shared with you what it says. And here's what had happened. This was in December of 2018, okay? So this was, what, just seven months ago that this happened, right? Here's what it says. There was a letter that was written by a Chinese pastor who was detained alongside a hundred other members of his congregation. This letter that he wrote before he was arrested has been released, and it's talking about the disgust with the Communist Party. And uh, his name is Wang Yi. He says, in the letter that was published and translated on social media, he says that he is filled with anger and filled with disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime and the wickedness of the depriving people of their freedoms of religion and conscience. Here's what he says. This is from his letter. But changing social and political institutions is not the mission I've been called to. And it's not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel, he said, explaining that his role is to lead people to Christ. He said that following the Bible, he accepts and respects— now listen to this, this is interesting to me— he, re- he accepts and respects the fact that this communist re- regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily accepts that he accepts that reality he said this though and he quoted uh john calvin he said wicked rulers are the judgment of god on a wicked people the goal being to urge god's people to repent and turn god toward him for this reason i'm joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as those submitting to the discipline and training of the lord As he's getting arrested by this communist regime, he's willfully accepting the reality that he is under this persecuting uh, political regime. He says, I accept that, that it is from God because God is allowing this to happen in order for us to turn our eyes to heaven. And then he says this, at the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is a greatly wicked and unlawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. The calling, and I love how he ends this, the calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. That's powerful. This is currently happening in our time. This persecution of the church, the Christian church. That, that's pretty powerful stuff. And it, uh, he, he clarified, and I made one more note, and he says this. Is the disruption, the only thing that he cares about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears for the cross of Christ. That is happening in our world. But that is a powerful example of someone standing up and speaking out in the face of persecution. So often we get persecuted or we have people that disagree with our beliefs, that we work with every single day, and we keep our mouths shut because we don't want to offend them. We keep our mouth shut because we want our relationships to be smooth instead of stepping up and standing up and saying the things that the Spirit puts on our heart to say as we know we're supposed to stand and speak up for the gospel in the face of persecution. This is an example of how we should apply this to our lives. Peter and John, as Roger just read, and we are right now on this point, they stand up in the face of persecution and the words that we are facing right now or we're looking at in our scripture right now is going to speak to us Jesus has warned his followers that this was going to happen before Peter and John were arrested they knew something was coming they knew that they were going to face persecution they knew that day was coming and they did it anyway they were obedient they were obedient so let's look at this together let's start with the first one i'm going to read it portions of it again let let's let the lord speak to us through his word while they were speaking to the people right the priests the captain of the temple police and the sadducees confronted them let me stop there we say sadducees oh gosh what is all this going on we hear pharisees and sadducees and these are Political groups or sects, sects in the Jewish times of that time, right? So there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had these different spiritual political beliefs, right? One of the big things about the Sadducees is they did not believe that 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 the Son of God would rise from the dead. That was their thing, right? Anyway, they had these disagreements, Sadducees and Pharisees. They're the leaders, though. They make all the calls. They're all the landowners, and they all own everything. So they're the big wigs in the community, right? Everybody's got them. Every community you go to, even though you might have different uh, laws that happen, they're the ones that ultimately pull the strings, right? So these guys are the ones pulling the strings: the Sadducees group and the Pharisees group. And well, the Sadducees make an appearance here and come in because this group, this uprising, these Jesus followers, right? are causing them to worry about losing some of their political clout. They're stepping in their territory. They're the leaders. How dare anybody else preach and speak to these people on behalf of somebody else other than us that don't get our blessing? Okay, so these Sadducees are confronting them now, and they step into the scene. So they come, they say, all right, what is going on? They're annoyed. (laughs) Look at this. Verse 2, because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees didn't believe that. So they seized them, and they took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. Now there's some background to that that's... uh, you can't have a trial by night, right? It, has to, it can't be the same day. So they carried on to the next day to, to meet that. But many of those who heard the message believed. Heard what Peter was saying, right? Heard what was going on. They believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Remember, it started with 3,000 in Peter's first message. You Remember that? And the number started at 3,000 and went growing. Well, now to this point... And the number has had grown to, to 5,000. And then the next day, the next day, their rulers, the elders, scribes, assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family after they had Peter and John stand before them. They began to question them. So they're on trial, okay? Here's the scene. Peter and John brought in. All the big dogs, the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're in there, all with the same focus. What are you doing standing in our territory, right? What, what are you thinking? So here's what they say after they've been arrested and in jail all night. By what power or in what name have you done this? Right? By power or in what name have you done this? Let's try to catch them here. Then Peter was... Filled with the Holy Spirit, and He said that. And He takes advantage of an opportunity. The past two weeks, we've been looking at opportunities that God lays before us, that oftentimes we don't have the eyes for, we're not looking for, we intentionally look over. God prepares opportunities for us to share the gospel, and He presents them to us, sometimes right in front of us, to share love, to love like Jesus, to give somebody something when they're in need, something simple to be the hands and feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ. Here's another example. Peter doesn't let this slide by. Peter steps up to the same people that murdered Jesus Christ. Peter steps up and says these things face to face, not in a big crowd and might, maybe they might hear him. He saw them face to face as if he did not care he was empowered and emboldened by the holy spirit here's what he says and he says them rulers of the people and elders if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed let it be known to all of you All the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing here before you, healthy. He answers the question: It was in the name of Jesus Christ that we heal this man. Who are we doing this to? Why are we on trial? Here's how he starts it out: He doesn't say "Jesus." He says, (laughs) "Listen how he responds." He says, "Why are we on trial for healing?" this man for this good deed this um, this good deed that just happened and here you are persecuting us putting us on trial he was not intimidated and he called them out in words that would pierce any armor that they tried to put up in front of him right so he says why do you why are we getting why are we putting on trial for this good deed that happened and then it says this right this jesus is He reminds them about what they've studied and about what they know. He brings back the Old Testament. This is from Psalm 118, verse 22. He says, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. This rejected stone that was part of the building process, right, become the cornerstone that everything else hinges on, is, is based on, is built upon. There is salvation Look at this. This is, I love this. And I've read it multiple times, and it still speaks to me, and I get chills reading it. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to by to people, given to people by which we must be saved. This is referenced so many times. And he clarifies it again. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And you can take this little slice out of this scripture and say. There's only one way to heaven. Our world right now wants to say that you can take this piece of this belief, this piece, and this piece, and this piece, make a nice little hodgepodge of what fits you best, and you can get to heaven just as long as you believe in a, a God, right? And that's so inaccurate. And it's not true. And we can't, and it's not, it's not mean, it's because we're not accepting and tolerant of all these different beliefs that, that filter in and the different opinions of the beliefs. But the word of God clearly states, there is no name under heaven other than Jesus Christ that we can be saved. No name. So so remember that. Always remember that. But he tells them this. There is no name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. He proclaims the way to salvation. And he makes this bold statement. And then he stands for He doesn't just end it there. Here's what he says. When they observe the boldness of Peter. Okay, whenever, let, let me translate this into putting my shoe, feet in the shoes of the Sadducees, right? Of the Sanhedrin. Who do you think you are standing here talking to me like this? You are nothing but Galilean fishermen. Who do you think you are? You are uneducated folk that just happen to be around this man and believe in him, right? Who in the world do you think you are speaking to me like that? When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were these uneducated and untrained men, they were then amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay. Until Peter and John, until Peter said these things to them, they didn't realize that this Jesus, they'd just been around, but Jesus was actually moving through them. The Spirit had filled them so much that they saw Jesus in these two men. That Jesus, Jesus just glowed from them in such a way that they were amazed. They went from a point where, how dare you, who do you think you are, to, okay, wow, you've got Jesus. You've been around him. He's not just rubbed off on you, but he lives within you, and it is so evident. Church, that's what we should strive to do. We should strive to be a people that when we speak, when we walk, when we live and love others, that people see Jesus in us, and it is so evident that people are astonished and amazed. Wow. Well, what's that look like? Are you different? Are you changed? Are you loving people in a way that you never have before? And when people ask you to explain why, you don't give any answer other than because of Jesus. It's all about loving others like Jesus, because of Jesus, and empowered by Jesus. And these two men are the embodiment of being Jesus' people, right? Being people that are speaking Jesus to everyone. These leaders were astonished. It's like, wow, they are just like Jesus, right? Well, I thought we, I thought we crucified him. I thought Jesus was dead, and here are these people that are just like him. What in the world have we gotten ourselves into? There must be a bunch of these, right? They they have to be overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Verse 14. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin they conferred among themselves. Okay. Here's what they said. Say, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, Clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we can't deny what happened. So, what they're saying, all right, this dude, this guy was healed, 40 years old, every day, sat down at the beautiful gate where everybody goes through because that's the best place to enter, the most beautiful entry point into the temple. We've all seen him, and we know that he can't move, we know he can't get up, and all of a sudden he's getting up and walking and dancing and leaping. Something amazing happened. But look how they say it, right? They're saying something happened, but we're not submitting to the fact that God just made this happen, right? But something, something happened, and the people like it, so we're not saying that they're lying to us. Not, we know that. They don't submit. They don't acknowledge that it was God and submit to him, but they do acknowledge something happened. Let me play an advocate on the other side here and say, okay, here's this Bible and you got Luke telling this story, but then how does he know what they they said, right? How does he know what the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, how does he know what they said and what they conferred about? He wasn't with them. You know who it was? This man named... Saul of Tarsus, which would be Paul, which would be one of the greatest missionaries or the greatest missionary ever. So we had a first-hand account of what exactly happened, and scholars believe that Paul shared with Luke what what had happened there. So we had, and and thinking about that, remember, Saul, he was part of these Jewish leaders, right? He was part of the same people putting Peter and John on trial, saying, how dare you, right? And look who... He got preached to by Peter and John. I think that this is huge. Peter and John aren't just preaching, preaching to people to, uh, and hopefully that they get get by with keeping on preaching the word to everybody else. They are changing the Jewish leaders. They convert part of this and lay the ground for whenever the appearance on the road to Damascus with Saul to Paul. They're preaching the gospel to him to Saul of Tarsus, who is a persecutor of Christians. Just a side note that that, that blows my mind when you step back and you think about this. who's Who's in this scene? Who's in this room with them as this is happening? They preached the word. They didn't intend for it to happen, but they made an impact, a ripple effect down the road that would change our world because they were obedient to the Spirit. Powerful truths in there. Powerful truths. But they didn't hold back, right? So let's continue reading. Verse 17, they know they couldn't deny it, but so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. That's what they're talking about. So they called for them and they ordered them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. They brought them back and that was their punishment. I dare you, don't you ever do it again, right? Peter and John responded. Here's what they say, they say, (laughs) Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. We're unable. Well, think about what had just happened. They were commanded by Jesus in Acts 1-8. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses to me In Jerusalem you will be that's your that's your I'm charging you and Jesus charged them with that to go they're going to do it anyway it's not about it's not about making man happy it's about being obedient to the spirit in verse 21 after threatening them further they continue to threaten them they released them and they found no way to punish them because people were all giving glory to God over what had been done for this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. That ends our scripture reading there, but look at what just happened. They found no way to punish them because all the people were giving glory. Let's step back to the very beginning of when Peter and John first got arrested, though. Imagine if we were there in that scene, church, and we saw these great men standing up in the face of persecution, and then they get arrested. Oh, man, the devil wins again, right? Here we go. Devil's having his way. Attacking the strongest Christians, there they go again, throwing them in jail. They're probably going to be murdered just like Jesus. Now what? Imagine if we were one of those believers, those five thousand up to this point, and we're seeing Jesus, and then we see Peter and John, and we expect them to be persecuted. The devil's winning, and we stop there. And so many times in our lives, we look and say, "Well, there's the devil again. Here he is again." winning again tearing that relationship up tearing this family up tearing that up and we submit to the fact that all right devil's winning well let's look a different way but that is not the plan of God yes there will be persecution but God has a bigger plan look at what had just happened it didn't end there Peter and John standing in the face of persecution instead of submitting to that, submitting to the leaders. And look what happened. Look at this. God gets glorified in the end. There are seven things that I've listed here that jumps out. 2,000 more people believed because they got arrested. This persecution that happened, you think the devil's winning, the world's crashing down, my life is terrible. 2,000 more people get saved and believe in Jesus. Peter gets filled with the Spirit again, and Peter gets moved by the Spirit to preach to these men. He gets to preach to the leaders of the Jews. He gets to preach to the greatest missionary that would ever, ever walk this earth and lay the groundwork for his transformation. He gets to preach. He gets to share the news. People get to see this amazing healing it gets confirmed by the Jewish leaders that yeah, something happened. They see submission to God indirectly. The enemies of Jesus, the enemies, the Jewish leaders, they would be the enemies. They get confused more and more. It's like, okay. They start to question. Something has happened. We don't know how to explain it. They ultimately get pointed back to God because of the references in the Old Testament in Psalms. And ultimately, this boldness for Jesus gets magnified because they know the Spirit's going to work through them, the Spirit worked through Peter in front of the face of the greatest persecution in the time that would happen because they faced what was likely death. Once again, is what they thought in their minds, but not at all. And ultimately, God is glorified. You see, church, when we face persecution, it is not the end. It is not over. and It is not the end of something that we had planned. God has bigger plans in our lives. I know there are people here today, right now, that has the world crashing down on him, that has the weight of the world, that just thinks, I don't know what's next, but I know the devil's winning in my life right now. Not at all. The devil's not winning. God has a greater plan. Be obedient to God. Be obedient to the Spirit as he moves in your life, because what you're going to see is what this small negative, this small evil in our life, that we think is winning, look at all the glory that God will get. All the glory God's going to get if we're obedient. But it was all because the Spirit filled these men. You can have that same power that Peter and John had in their heart, in their lives, that enabled them to do bold things right now, in your life in this very moment. And you pray for that Spirit to move in you, to give you the power to stand up to those or to share people with even in your family. And you can do that. I'm going to pray for you right now. And let's pray about this, that we have that same power, that we let the Spirit live in our hearts. In order to do that, church, we have to give and submit to surrender to Jesus Christ, to admit our sins, to admit that Jesus is who he says he was, the Christ, the Messiah, and to commit our lives to him. Because without it, we are forever broken. But with, with him, we are forever free. Let's pray together. Father, for us in this church, for us listening in within an earshot, Father, we lift you up. We thank you for your word that gives us so much direction in our lives. And then it's not just cool stories to think about and talk about and to make us feel good about ourselves or about you. Father, this is transformational, the living word that you have before us. Help us to see our lives in these stories to see your glory and your beauty in this, that your plan is far greater, that our small lives are in the palm of your hands, and that you have a, a story far greater in the end for us to look back and say, God, you had this all along, because I was obedient to you, you got the glory. Help us to give you glory in all things that we do. Help us to strive in all things we do to glorify you. And God, today, let us be a church that goes boldly, like Peter and John, sharing the good news of Jesus. Father, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.